Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public. On appointment-only basis, she offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening. How are you? Well, how are you breathing? Much better, yeah. The air is much clearer. I mean, we keep getting bouts of smoke coming in, but, I mean, it's nothing like it was, so. (laughs) 
Hooray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, not sure about other places, but the valley seems pretty clear anyway. We had one of those glorious, perfect autumn days with the skies, that kind of blue that you feel like gives you wings with little fluffy white clouds floating here and there in the sun, slanting in with that autumn warmth that's so much gentler than the summer's and the maples turning red. So when you look up into the mountains, you see the maples flashing you the red while all the other trees are going, hmm, I'm staying green still. And so uh, we drove through a windy mountain road with um, a views overlooking water and then pulled into the biggest beaver pond in the area. It covers acres and acres and acres. And walked around that for a while and looked at the beaver dam and the beaver house and the work the beavers were, were doing and talked about how long that beaver pond had been there for as long as I've been here. So for over 50 years and maybe for even longer. And that... Um, it was quite the rarity because beavers had been hard-pressed, especially in this area where they had been hunted and hunted hard um, for their beautiful pelts. And how delightful it was to have the time and the opportunity to experience all of that and to be uh, walking around with it. I was... Uh, showing Monica Jean that there are girl pine trees and boy pine trees, and the girl pine trees are the ones with cones. And the pine trees are just covered in cones here this year. The tops of the pine trees are brown with cones. And as we were leaving the forest, there was an older man by the side of the road picking up pine cones. And he held one up for us, and he says, the best fire starter ever. He said, you don't go to the store and buy stuff to start your fire. He says, pick up pine cones. He looked at us. He says, pick up all the pine cones you want. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and I said, I said to Justine, well, you know, he's really got the timing down. He's out there picking up last year's dried pine cones, which are really going to burst into flame, before this year's green pine cones come falling down. Mm-hmm. Which are, you know, yeah, sticky looking. and wet and hard to get to burn. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at this fir tree outside of my window right now that's just covered in cones, so <laughs> have to wait until next year though. Mm. Well we have something somewhat unusual going on. <laughs> Certainly not with that president, but somewhat unusual and that is we do not have a guest who is going to be interviewed, and that's happening for a couple of reasons. Um, and I want to talk about those because there may be people listening who think, gee, I'd like to be interviewed. I wish I was the guest on the show. And you know, that is within your reach. So if you reach out to Allie, A-L-L-I-E, at HerbsHealing.com, um, and tell us why you should be interviewed. Well, then you could be interviewed. And what we ask from you is a short bio. You remember I read the bio, introduce the person, read their bio, and then questions. And we usually ask you for 10 questions. If you want to get, you know, 9 or 11 or 12 even, it's fine. It's not a problem. And we have a few restrictions on what we want you to talk about. As you may or may not have noticed, we do not endorse 
push um, or in any way support products. We want you to make your own remedies. I certainly mention um, Casco Mountain Herbals and Red Moon Herbals as places where if you want to buy something, you might look, but I'm not recommending any particular product. And so that's that's kind of a, you know, a guideline that we have that we don't want people being interviewed who have a product that they're trying to sell. Now, if it's a book, that's okay. Um, CDs, DVDs, all pretty good. I have felt very strongly for a long time that I don't want to um, in any way put my name behind any particular kind of herbal products. I really want you to make your products. So um, <clears throat> the guest that was supposedly booked for tonight um, could not seem to agree on all of our guidelines. And so we actually said then, we don't want you to be our guest tonight. So I hope I've done two things with this little talk here. I hope I've encouraged you to get in touch with Allie at HerbsHealing.com and say, interview me, interview me. And I hope I have put out our very simple guidelines so that you already know about them when you do that. Ha-ha. Hee-hee. Ho-ho. Time to get out yes, there and I- harvest the last of the mints. I know it's hard to believe, but it is getting colder in most places. And those beautiful, beautiful mint plants, which seem so sturdy, and they do. They take those, like, mid-30 temperatures really well. But when it gets to be, you know, the high 20s to the mid-20s, those mint plants are just going to, like, padumba, lose it all. So out there, and make your sage honey and your thyme honey and your rosemary honey and even your shiso honey, your vinegars to preserve the antioxidant contents of those wonderful medicinal mints. The vinegars, of course, get more of the minerals out of them, but the honeys preserve the antioxidants and the flavors better. Mmm. Still have a couple of days, if not a couple of weeks, depending on where you live, to get some more remedies in your cupboard for the winter to come. Mm-hmm. What do you, have you made any mint remedies lately, Susan? I'm going to make a after-dinner mint vinegar because I really like after-dinner mint. It's mm. the classical mint. Like if you think of like a peppermint patty, it's likely that the mint flavoring came from after-dinner mints. Very, very, very strong peppermint. And I'm one of those people who loves peppermint but does not like spearmint at all. Really? I love yeah. spearmint. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I was even thinking of making a little tincture of the after-dinner mint um, and experimenting mm-hmm. with a mint tincture and seeing what that does since I love my after-dinner mint so very well. I grew apple mint last year, which I've really been loving, adding that to the infusions. So I wonder, it's kind of like spearmint. It's a little fuzzier, but, I mean, it has kind of a similar flavor. <laughs> so you mm-hmm. might not like that one. I love it. Yes, it's a wild mint around here, spearmint, wild spearmint. And that's exactly what we call it is the fuzzy mint. It's got big leaves, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Smells really good. It it does. It's got a wonderful flavor. 
but mm-hmm. I don't like it. Okay, I don't like lemon balm mm-hmm. either. Not everybody likes every mint. It's okay. Yeah, lemon balm. When I drink that, it it just slows me down way too much. I don't I, pref- I don't like it myself, but good for maybe more hyperactive people. Exactly, and I love my bed of lemon balm, and I love to stick my nose in it and watch the bees mm-hmm. come to it. Mm-hmm. So, hooray for all of the many, many mints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to make some sage honey as well. I have ah. a huge sage here in the backyard, and I look forward to that. I love sage honey. <laughs> so, you may be uh, asking, what are we going to do if I don't interview somebody? We're going to keep on answering questions. We're going to answer questions from now until the end of the show at 930. So you can stay with this. You can come in and out. You can ask questions. You can listen. And to ask a question, what do they need to do, Rebecca? To ask a question, you need to press 1, and I'll put your call in the queue. And we have several people with their hands raised already, so get yourself in line if you have a question. And are you ready for the first caller, Susan? I am. All right. The first caller is coming from the 720 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Anna calling. Hi, Anna. Good to hear your voice. It's always good to hear your voice, too. Um, I have a question. I've been I've been harvesting more of my infusion herbs this year, which has been really fun. Um, and I and it's nice because I noticed that most of them aren't currently available. Um, but my I had oats as a cover crop that got in late, so I won't have oat straw, but I could have oat hay. Um, what you know it, that's that has more that, sugar and more protein. Yes. The oat grass can be used at any stage. Okay. So you can even cut it just as grass. Mm-hmm. Or you can let it go out to flower. Um, milky oats, the oats when it's just setting its seed and it's still milky and hasn't hardened up yet is often tinctured as a sedative. And then, as you say, if you go all the way to oat hay, well, technically, the only difference between oat straw and oat hay is the addition or subtraction of oats. Mm-hmm. Because hay has seeds in it and straw does not. Yeah. Well, it's much greener. It, you know, it's it's pretty much grass. You know, so it, it is... It's much greener than the oat straw that I've had. Well, I've bought oat straw that's actually very bright green as well as yellow, even brown. Okay. So it's all good. Yay. Yay. (laughs) And they they say there's no easier crop to grow than oats. They were pretty easy. It was the last of the grasses to be cultivated because it grows so easily wild. And I know that in California it covers, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres just wherever you look is, you know, the wild oat grass. And, wow, I wasn't surprised to find it like that in Australia, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, just everywhere you look is wild oats. (laughs) 
Well, good. Thank you. I'll be well supplied on oat straw this winter. Yay. <laughs> All right. Green blessings. Green blessings. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 606 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. How are you? I am fine. Great. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe walk me through this timeline. I've heard you um, explain to other people many times, and I just can't seem to remember. Um, I'm very curious about it. Um, so I've heard you explain to people before about the different stages of, like, seeding the immune system and the microbiome via um, breastfeeding. And I'm very curious if you uh, can hear you do that, if you can. Okay. It was an interesting introduction. Not something that I... I know. Re- Sorry. It's okay. Not something that I relate to very strongly or talk about very often. Um, so here's in brief what we know, which I think is kind of fascinating. First of all, there are different inhabitants in the large intestine than there are in the small intestine. And most of what we know about the microbiome comes from studies of dried feces. So this means that, A, what we're studying is primarily the large intestine and not the small Mm -hmm. intestine. And that um, anything that doesn't survive being desiccated isn't being seen. Okay. And what we have found out is that the biome of the large intestine is changeable when we are young and then tends to kind of solidify. Now, since I don't talk about this often, um, I am not going to be able to tell you the names of the different things in the large intestine specifically. But in this age of being able to find out anything, if you're really interested, you can find out. When a baby is born, it ideally picks up microorganisms. And we're Mm -hmm. going to include bacteria, viruses, and funguses as microorganisms. And funguses Mm -hmm. include molds and yeast. It picks those up from the skin and mucous surfaces of the mother through the baby's skin as well as through the baby's mouth. So, yes, breastfeeding is quite important for helping the gut, but probably more important for helping 
um, what's a bit terra incognito to us is the small intestine, <clears throat> because the large intestine um, is, as I said, on an independent track. And as I recall, and I, my memory could be somewhat faulty, so check it out to make sure it's true, that during the first three years of life, the infant goes through several changes of predominant gut flora in the large intestine. Finally, then, at around three years of age, settling down to their adult biome, which supposedly is so distinctive that it can be used to identify people like a fingerprint. Wow. Very interesting. I never heard that one. As we know, there are certain substances and plants called resistant starches or mm-hmm. non-digestible carbohydrates. And they literally are non-digestible. The small intestine cannot do a thing with them. And they're just passed into the large intestine. And because they have not been digested, they are food for the microorganisms in the large intestine. And so far, and so far as we know then, um, eating actual resistant starches, not like um, chicory root fiber or so on added to foods, but the actual you know, resistant starches like you find in roots, um, does seem to keep the large intestine in very good health. What's going on in the small intestine, as I said, we don't know very much about. But that's the place where the other things, the things that you think about, you know, the sauerkraut and the kefir and the yogurt and all of that, that's where they're primarily acting, is in the small intestine. And from the little bit that we do know, the uh, microbiome in the small intestine changes as frequently as daily and perhaps even more often. Mm-hmm. So we have one really stable system and one really um, changing system, which seems to be the way of the world, huh? Yin and yang. Right. Right. I seem to remember you um, explaining um, to someone how at certain stages, like at certain months and and milestones, I guess, um, the nutrients in breast milk will change or or that there should be certain maybe bacteria that, that the baby's introduced to via the skin-to-skin contact. Um, does that ring a bell at all? We certainly know that children who have more contact with dirt and animals and human skin are healthier, have less allergies, yeah. have less asthma. We certainly do know that the actual amount of protein, sugar, fat, water as a percentage in breast milk does change. It changes throughout the day, and it changes throughout the infant's life. Mm. Yeah, okay. That makes perfect sense. Um, Thank you for explaining, re-explaining that to me. I'm sorry if I wasn't too clear in the beginning. Um, No, you were very clear. Okay, sorry. Um, I've just been curious about it. Um, someone in my life, is their child is affected by what's being called food allergies, and just intuitively, I'm just 
anything. So this is strictly, you know, for me and my curiosity, but on intuitive level, I just, I don't think that that's really the case. I think that the child just needs healthy breast milk. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. And you know, when all else fails, we can always, Mm -hmm. with the person's permission, psychically send that child psychic breast milk. I I do every day. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know if it does any good at all for the child, but it certainly will do a world of good for you. Yes, thank you. Um, That's that's pretty much all I I wanted to know, but I did want to just tell you a quick little story that I've wanted to tell you for like a year. Um, Is that okay? Please. Yes. Okay. So I, I remember an episode where there was a lot of talk. It always tends to go like this, where there's like a continuation from caller to caller. But I remember an episode where there was a lot of talk about ginseng, and you were talking about your friends in um, Appalachia, which I say Appalachia. I know some people say Appalachia, but I'm from the Appalachian Mountains in um, southeast Kentucky. Um, and I, it reminded me of this time when I was a child. It was um, – maybe seven, six or seven. And my dad always, he had a ginseng patch that he had been cultivating since he was a child um, where he, you know, brought ginseng out of the mountains and kept it off the side of our property just in the woods enough. And it was sort of fenced in and he would tend to it and he would harvest it here and there when he, when he needed it. But um, I don't know if it's something you've heard of, but I definitely remember this being effective. One time I got, uh, very bad poison ivy rash under my, in my armpits as a child. Um, and my dad in like a moment of desperation, it was coming down to, I need to see a doctor. I need to go to the hospital or something's got to give cause it was spreading and I was in, you know, in pain. I remember my dad going to the ginseng patch, digging up um, a root, literally chewing it up in his mouth, um, spitting it in his hand with like a splash of something, I think some sort of alcohol and rubbing that, pace that he had created on my armpits and the following morning the point the rash was completely gone amazing right yeah it was completely gone my skin was you know a little bit flaky a little you know a little it was recovering but the rash was gone the swelling the redness the itching was completely gone Okay. So I just thought I, I really wanted to share that with you ever since that episode like a year ago. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you speaking with me. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 510 area code. Hi, is that me? It is Hello. you. Oh, it is hi. You. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for doing this and everything. Um, I have a question about harvesting hawthorn berries. I live on a street called Hawthorne Terrace, and I just finally realized that it's lined with hawthorn trees. <laughs> hey, um, all right. Hey. <laughs> Don't know why it took so long. Um but that's exciting, and so they're kind of ripening now. And I was looking around for just tips on making tinctures, a tincture from them, and I found, I think, maybe one or two articles uh, 
um, in your sources about making tinctures from the dried hawthorn berries. And so I'm wondering if there's a reason why it is, I mean, I know usually we make tinctures from fresh stuff, right? So is there a good reason to dry them? Or was that just because most people don't have access to the fresh berries? Or It's because I don't have access to the fresh berries. Ah, okay. <laughs> so then you would just, uh, if you did, just uh, put them straight into the alcohol, right? Actually, the other way around. I would fill a jar with the hawthorn berries and then pour the alcohol over the berries. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I imagined. Okay. Okay. And then, um, okay. Yeah, well, I, I also have some Vitex berries, so I guess it's the same with those. And I harvested some of those, and they have so much of the, um, like, I don't know what you call it, not not the leaf, but, you know, the leafy sort of matter that kind of surrounds part of the berry. I don't know what you call that. The um, sepal. Okay. And that's fine, right? I mean, it would be insane Absolute. to pick all that off. Yeah, yeah. totally fine. You do, do not have to pick it off. No. Okay. Um, I've been washing them because I'm in California and everything's covered in ash, so. I understand. Ay, 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 ay. I should yeah. ask you, like Rebecca, how are you breathing? Yeah, <laughs> lately very well, but it's up and down. It's, All right. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting journey with the emotions thing. And you are on fresh air. <laughs> I mean, obviously, but the days where you can't go outside are like can be really dark. Um, mm. But but yeah, managing. And then maybe I can also ask my mom just got some test results back and she has a little bit of hyperthyroid like it's not so much that they wanted to medicate her yet so i don't know how hyper but somewhat hyperthyroid stuff and i wonder if you have any advice for that on kind of moderating so it doesn't get too there's a chapter on it in new menopausal years the wise woman way oh okay and also at the wisewomanbookshop.com you can get the teleseminar that I did with Ryan Drum on uh, thyroid health. Oh, cool. I'm writing it down. A teleseminar with Ryan Drum. Okay, cool. Ryan Drum, and then New Menopause Years, the Wise Woman Way. Lovely. That's great. Do I have, could I squeeze in one more question? What do you say, Rebecca? <laughs> I think it's probably fine. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, we only have a few. Okay, thank you. Thanks. All right. I have, I've gotten um, abnormal pap smears back and have, you know, some dysplasia, or I did a year ago, like enough where they did a colposcopy and I was just at the, you know, level one or whatever the lowest level is of uh, cervical dysplasia, and I, you know, what they said is you know, come check in a year. Well, it's been a year now, and I'm not, I'm kind of, I, do I even want to go check? I feel I'm, now I'm kind of taking, I'm following a lot of what I read about in your book down there. So taking, uh-huh. uh, you know, whatever, the different herbs and tinctures that you listed there. And um, I have, you know, in my cycle, like a little bit of blood each month in my uh, fertile fluid, and that, that's been happening, I think, since I've had this dysplasia thing. So I don't know for sure if it's related to that, but I kind of associate it with that, and that's still there. So I feel probably like if I go get another, 
you know, pap, it's going to still be abnormal. And I'm wondering, is there, I don't know if you have any thoughts, like, is it, should I go find that out? And then I don't know what kind of treatment they want me to go through. Or is it safe to maybe wait a bit longer and keep going with the herbs? Or, like, I'm just not quite sure how on it I should be in the, at the doctor's office. I hear you. Am I making sense? Yeah. You're absolutely making sense. And it's not an easy decision to make. You certainly do not want to die of cervical cancer. No. And... On the other hand, you do not want to be overtreated. Yeah, exactly. And it's difficult to know which action to take to get both of those outcomes, to prevent overtreatment and to make sure you do not die of cervical cancer. So one way to do that is to be clear in your mind and with the doctor that you are coming for a test. And Mm -hmm. not for a treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Unless you are coming for a treatment plan. But if if all you want is a test, where am I at? How has what I've been doing progressed? Then you have nothing to fear because all you're getting is a test, which will tell you how well you're doing and might cause you to continue to do what you're doing or to change what you're doing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Should your dysplasia be advancing, um, that might cha- cause you to change what you're doing. Right. If it's advancing but not really advanced, it might cause you to not only change what you do, but to get another test in six months instead of waiting a year. Mm-hmm. If it's unchanged, you might say, good, I'm going to get another test in a year. Yeah. So the test results and asking for the test don't mean that you are asking for or agreeing to any treatment plan. Right, totally. Um, and the test, you know, to see to see how advanced it is, is a, the colposcopy, which, you know, is doing some, I mean, it's, you know, snipping a tiny bit off, right? So, but the, the little bit that they do in the colposcopy is not, not of a big concern, right, for doing any actual damage to the cervix. Is that right? I'm not an expert on that. Yeah, okay. I was trying to read around and find out, and I couldn't quite come up, so I thought I'd ask, but that is fair. Keep keep asking people. Maybe ask people who do that. Ask women who've had it done. Yeah. Right? Usually, you don't have to do a colposcopy. Usually, a pap smear will work. If we're talking Mm -hmm. dysplasia... A biopsy is to check for cancer. A pap smear is to look to see what level of dysplasia you have. Oh, okay. So I don't understand why you would need to get a biopsy unless you were already diagnosed with cancer. 
No, they did the biopsy to determine the level of dysplasia and maybe they did phrase the biopsy it that way, not if you had cancer. <laughs> well, then maybe I, oh, my God. Okay, yeah. Okay. So I do not think that you necessarily need another biopsy if cancer was not found, but that a pap smear right. would give you some useful information. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This is all very helpful. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Green blessing. Thank you very much. Bless Good you. Night. Bye. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 973 area code. Oh, my problem doesn't seem to be as large as some people. But That's I, quite I am okay. Up. Small problems count, too. <laughs> yes. I'm woken up in the middle of the night with cramps in my feet. Sometimes oh, that's a huge problem. Oh, my gosh. It's so terrible because it doesn't just wake you up. It wakes you up screaming and flying out of bed. Yes. My big toe is raised. And last night, even yes. the toe of my foot. Yes, it's like, ah, ah, ah. When I was a teenager and I was growing so fast, that happened to me a lot. And you know what my pediatrician said was, you have to sleep with a Coke bottle under your bed. And at first, my mom thought, is this some kind of, you know, like, woo-woo? And he, he could see that kind of wild look in her eyes. And he said, and then when you wake up in the middle of the night with a cramp in your foot, you take the Coke bottle and you roll your foot on the bottle. Hmm. So sure enough, oh. I got a, he says it has to be a Coke bottle, right, because it can't be flat. It has to have those curves in it. What? Right? <laughs> That's interesting. Right, and not plastic. It would be a glass Coke bottle, right? So I did. I started keeping a Coke bottle under my bed, and I would wake up screaming in horrible pain because my foot all flexed, you know, and grab that Coke bottle and, like, roll my foot back and forth and bow. You know, four or five seconds, and the cramp would be gone. My goodness. I've been trying to be more hydrated and all sorts of things, and nothing works. I hear oh, you. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, indeed. Yes. Good, 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 good. That's wonderful. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that it has anything to do with dehydration. Some people think it has to do with a magnesium imbalance. Oh. And they take magnesium supplements, or they rub magnesium on their legs or feet before they go to sleep. Leg cramps and foot cramps. It's a really. It's a, a plaguing thing if it happens to you. And it can happen like night after night after night until you think, ah, right? And then it can just like go away and go away for years yeah. and then come back and then come back again. Yeah, that's what happens. And, right? And there's like a slew of things that people try. And it's one of those things where because it just kind of goes away for no apparent reason, they all seem to work. Uh-huh. So some people have told me that, CBD oil before they go to sleep has been the miracle they were looking for. Oh, so if you can uh-huh. find a glass Coke bottle, but you can find some CBD oil, you could give it a try. Yes, I definitely will. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I will, Green blessings. <laughs> Thank you very much. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 613 area code. 
Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hi. Um, I phoned last week, and I had um, the problem with the, we thought it might be hemorrhoids. And um, I just wanted to thank you and tell you that, yes, I think we were right, and our plan to keep using the, um, uh, what is it, the, the, um, the treatments that we were that I was using the um, pardon, witch hazel. Yes, that's it, witch hazel and uh, oh. <laughs> anyway, I just kept doing it and and the next night it was I could feel for the first time an improvement and then every night for the last week it more improved, improved, improved till today it's not very much at all. And you had said in in one of your I think it was a, one of the books and. That it would take about three weeks of of um, doing these treat, you know, these self cares for myself. That it would that it would be, and it's exactly three weeks. It's so funny. Uh-huh. You're right on. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you for the confidence that you helped me to um, give to myself. You know, um, I just your persistence and the confidence you have in yourself. It just inspires me to believe in in myself and to to get informed and to make these um, informed decisions for myself. And, uh, and that's really your, your inspiration is, is, is very great for me. So thank you. You are welcome. I think about that every time I hear somebody say that abundantly well redefines patient-centered care because that's exactly what I want. I want patient-centered care. And I don't want to just redefine it. I want to define it. Patient-centered care means the patient, like you, feels empowered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I feel more and more empowered. And it's interesting when I get these um, sort of uh, any kind of health challenge or mental challenge, whatever I'm going through in my life, it, it does help me to reassess myself where I am now and and to ask my body for information, and it will always come to me. You know, sentences, words will come to me instantly when I ask, and um, it really helped me now down in this area, which I, I, you know, I nearly needed to look at this area of my body, and and I started to read the childbearing year too, and you were talking about when because you had mentioned a vein that was swollen, and so I looked into varicose veins and things like that, and I looked in your childbearing year after I talked to you, and then I got some really good information about the um, the vulva. And uh, how, like, I had thought, like, that I was, I have once in a while genital herpes, and I I treat them very successfully instantly. I can feel when they start. I don't even get a sore. I can feel it. And I treat myself before it comes, and I can, in a day, I can, you know, or two, one or two days of St. John's wort, uh, I can eliminate that. But uh, during this hemorrhoid incident, I was wondering if I had a herpes sore because it was sort of feeling like that in the vulva area. And then I read in the book that, that the hemorrhoid can be there too in the vulva area. And so I started to put the witch hazel there as well, which I hadn't been doing. I was just using the St. John's wort. And um, every, you know, every day taking, taking so much of it for two weeks, thinking I was getting another herpes or something, but I, I don't, I might, I think I had, might've had one sore, but it wasn't continuing like that, like I thought it was. And I think it's maybe the hemorrhoid was in the vulva as well, or, you know, making me feel dry, a dry sensation there. That's That's certainly possible. Wow. 
Yeah, and thank you. It's it's interesting just to talk about it because um, I, I thought that the witch hazel was going to dry it more, so I didn't want to touch it. But it's not that. It's tonifying. It's not drying, is it? Witch well, hazel. you know, people think of astringents, and witch hazel is an astringent, as drying. But I yeah. think that you're closer to the truth. I had a teacher who said that what astringents do is they make the cells do push-ups. <sighs> and it was such uh, a silly image that it's never left me. <laughs> That's fun. But when I, I put it on last you, night... You, you see the, like, you know, the, the witch hazel is the PE instructor, right? Okay, yeah. ten jumping jacks. Okay, you know, ten touch your toes. <laughs> All you cells, get in line now. Work out. Interesting, because, yeah, I, I put it on for the first time last night after I read that. Uh, and I thought, hey, maybe it's, uh, and boy, it made a huge difference. The next morning, I, this morning I woke up and it was like, yeah, that witch hazel needed to be there too. So I kept doing that today and it just really helped the whole area. Yay. Because it was this invisible hemorrhoid thing. Like it was, I can't see any, I can't feel anything or, but it was just that itching, itching, itching. Mm. So, <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for for everything you've written and how I can explore your information is just so clear and and I can go through the process just step by step and try to figure it out just for me and 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 that's another thing I learned for myself is that at the at this time in my life I have to stop trying to help everybody else I really just I just have to do this for me and if somebody else wants me to help them a little bit they know where to come you know, I can send them to you, <laughs> to your books and things like that. That's but, right. You, you know, start by getting yourself healthy. You start by loving yourself. You start by helping yourself, and then people know where to come. That's brilliantly said. Thank you. Thank you. So much. And I, I guess that's just what I, all I really had wanted to say. So, thank you. Green blessings. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1, and we'll go to this next caller in the 646 area code. Yes? Hi. Hello, Susan? Hi. This is Carmen. You remember me? Yes. I'm glad you're doing well. I've been following what you were saying, that you're getting stronger and stronger, and all the exercise and mushrooms and echinacea, all the wonderful things you were talking about. That was so exciting. Yes, indeed. I went to see an osteopath today, a local osteopath, who's also uh, um, anthroposophic, interesting combination. And, uh, you know, after he did that, like, intake interview and we went over, you know, the things that um, I have um, experienced and the uh, experiences that my body has gone through, uh, he said, well, you know, there's probably this going on and probably this going on. And then at the end of the examination, he looked at me and he said, well, um, I guess what you're saying about, you know, um, being robust and using, um, you know, those foundational medicines is really true. He said because none of those things that would have happened, um, that I expected to happen, have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
you know, I still have healing to do. Um, I really notice it if I don't eat, you know, four meals a day, I start losing weight. So a lot of tissue is being rebuilt in my body, and that will come on for quite some time, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, at the uh, beginning of June, I slept through 90 to 98% of the yoga class, and last Wednesday I did 98% of the yoga. Wonderful, wonderful. And I, so I what, agree with what's been up with you? I know that um, you and Monica Jean and Justine spent some time in the city. Yes, we spent some time in the city. We went to the park. In Ast- it, it, it is in Astoria. They came to my area, and there were many linden trees, and they smell so well. And 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 Justine said, "What well, smells so well?" And she identified her favorite infusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, so when it rains in Astoria, because there are so many linden trees, it is much like, like linden infusion. <laughs> it is as if you're, you know, like you're breathing linden infusion. So she was very excited, and we spent some time by the water in the park. So And it was exactly uh, the 21st of June, so that was a significant day also. Yes. And I was... You know, and and she told me about you, and you know, I reconnected in all the ways I love you, and I keep loving you. So, so that was like a very significant. Day. I didn't know it was a summer solstice, and Justine told me, and I said mm, I was going to go to Long Island, but there was a problem with the trains because of COVID. So, we decided. I said, okay. So change of plans. Tomorrow I'll go to Long Island. Today we meet Justine. That's it. <laughs> right. So Yay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Susan. Um, so this is like I'm, I was happy to meet your daughter and your granddaughter. It's very colorful always. And also a Maitre, Maitre, Maitre. I didn't know her, so I met her too. And we had a nice long walk. Mm, I wanted to, you know, I'm calling you because I I was feeling so tired and so worried that I said, you know, at this point I just want to, I think I just have to fall onto Susan's arms. (laughs) And that's what I'm calling you. I just turned 43 in September, Susan. I just turned 43 in September. And two years ago my periods started to get shorter, like only two days bleeding. And the last month I've been very tired, and now I'm feeling like tingling in the body, like echinacea, but in the body, you know what I mean? Like in the skin. Like as it was, yes. I was putting echinacea in my skin, that's tingling in my skin. I'm kind of sweating, and my periods are short now, like only one day and a half. And I'm just saying, what the hell? What the hell is... I mean, this is menopause, of course. My grandmother, my father's side, stopped bleeding at the age of 43. I still have my periods every month. And pretty regular. The last one, it was a bit early because... I think it's because I, I took a phytoestrogen tonic from Earthfan, which didn't do... You know, like... You know, suddenly I, I, I came from to not having libido and having all this sweat and, and tingling. And I said, what was going on? I said, it's suddenly, and, and I was very tired before that. I was so exhausted. I took some St. John's wort, and it, and maybe that 
brought me to my backstep in some way, so I was more energetic. But now I'm in a situation that with COVID, I mean, in the process of getting a certification for a job, it's getting a long time, and I may have to go to a plan B, and I need the energy, and also I want some, like I've been reading your, reading your book, but I wanted like some support. I wanted some older woman to help me. I feel like crying right now, so soon. I'm kind of scared. I really hear you. COVID is making life difficult for everybody. People who had jobs don't have jobs. People who had jobs who still have jobs are having to work new ways. Your work is as an independent contractor, is more threatened and you have fewer safety nets Mm -hmm. because of that, because you teach and you teach at a very high level. Um, The job opportunities are not a lot, Mm -hmm. and the application process has now become more difficult. And on top of that, um, as is frequently the case for women, your body is changing. Mm-hmm. Just when we would like life to be stable, our bodies change. Mm-hmm. And it can easily um, lead a woman to feel distress and distaste and dislike for her own body because it won't stay still or do what she wants it to do. Mm -hmm. In interviewing thousands of women for the menopause book, um, one of the things that I found was that the time and duration of um, menopause doesn't run in families. Oh, no? So when your mother went into menopause and how it was does not say much about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, parity, in other words, how many children you've had, um, tends to have more of an influence on the timing of your menopause, but not in such a way that I could say, oh, if you've had zero to one children, it'll be this, or one to three, it'll be that, and, you know, just that that seems to make a bigger difference than what is going on in your family. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, um, well, I'm kind of happy. I don't know if I'm happy or I'm happy because 43 is early. My grandmother, she's in her 90s. She's 96, perfect head. So um, she's, she's in healthy Mediterranean diet, you know, lots of sun. She has four children. She has four children, but she stopped living at the age of 43. But I was wondering, you know, it, it is like, it is like, part of it is the stress because, you know, I submitted all the paperwork and they interviewed me at the school, but, and they want me to work there, but I have to have the license. And now the licenses are taking like 12 to 16 weeks to get processed because they don't have enough people, you know, that the budget got cut. I had another job, I started working and, and they cut the budget so I, I, I couldn't have it. So I came to this second one that they, I need the license. So it's the second time that happens to me because that happened to me. I lost a job. I'm afraid, you know, that this will happen again. 
And because it's going to take a while, but the school really wanted me. And uh, and I want to teach at that school, you know what I mean? I can teach everywhere now after so many years. So that's part of it. And, and I think because I've been nervous, maybe it has to do with that. It's just I lost all my libido suddenly. And all my and I'm tingling, I'm sweating, and I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking clover, red clover infusion. I just got a huge package from Mountain Rose Herbs that I ordered because it was more affordable. And I'm thinking of like that maybe the 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 herbs that to to lean on. And I just wanted because of what I read on your book. I'm also taking Chase Tree Berry, which I've been taking for years. Uh, twice per day, like three, four droppers each time. And there are so many herbs on the book that I just want to pick the right, you know, like a few of them and stay with them. The nourishing herbal infusions. And I'm thinking, what do you think about about me taking red clover and the long-term effects of red clover? Do you think that would help me or...? I have been rotating through five infusions, including red clover. So mm-hmm. I'm drinking approximately, um, what, five into 30 is six. That's six quarts of red clover or a gallon and a half of red clover infusion a month. That makes 18 gallons of red clover infusion a year for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. Are you drinking more than that? I'm... But I'm, you know, I'm drinking like half a gallon per day. I've been drinking for the last four days. I've been drinking red, red clover. That, that's too much. Oh, really? So perhaps a quart, of infu- a quart of infusion a day is a good amount. Most people don't actually need more than a quart of fluid a day. But if you do need more than a quart of fluid a day, a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of coffee or a cup of green tea or a cup of black tea, any of those things are a good idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think that the, what herbs in the conditions, in the situation I told you, I would like to get my libido back and just the ostra. And I, like I said, a few months ago, I had a pretty good one, you know, and I leave it there, but... You, you would yeah. like to get your bleeding back, I hear you. No, my um, The my first baby. thing that I would think about for that, uh, for most women, is to get more fat in the diet. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I didn't say bleeding. I'm bleeding every month. Oh, okay. What is this that you want to get back? Libido, libido. Oh, libido. Oh, libido. I hear you, your libido. Um, a slightly different discussion. Mm-hmm. But I think it has to do with the so let, he, Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think that for most women, the surge of hormones that accompanies ovulation, mm-hmm. the fertility event in your body, mm-hmm. is what most women think of as their libido. Oh. And as those hormones change, a woman's libido changes as well. Mm-hmm. So I believe that what works best it is to expect the 
of things that turn you on. Mm-hmm. So what? Hmm? Would you repeat your last sentence? Yes, expand the range of things that turn you on. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a kind of parallel thing. Annie Sprinkle, when she was doing sacred sex workshops here, asked us to make a list of ten things that gave us physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then we had to promise to engage in at least one of those every day and to focus on the physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. And she said advanced students could do, you know, all ten every day. But we had to commit to doing at least one of them and to making that be physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. Many, if not most, women seem to have a limited recognition of the wide range of things that actually bring them pleasure and bring them arousal. Mm -hmm. I mention often a rather interesting experiment in which men and women both homosexual and non-homosexual men and women, were asked to participate in an experiment in which they had brain scans and um, monitors on their heart and their breathing and skin galvanic responses and actual monitors on blood flow to their genitals. And they then showed them um, images of um, both... um, homosexual and non-homosexual sexual experiences. You could call it erotica. You could call it pornography, depending on what you think about it. Mm -hmm. And to me, the most fascinating part was that they ask the people to describe what turned them on. Or not describe it, but to say, I watched this and it turned me on. I watched that and it turned me on. So, for instance, the straight men said, I watched, you know, these scenes of men and women and they really turned me on. And I watched these these scenes of men and men and yuck, it turned me off. And I watched these scenes of women and women and it turned me on. Mm-hmm. And the women, whether they were straight or gay, by and large, tended to say it was all disgusting. I didn't like any of it. <laughs> now, as you recall, we have all of these people wired, right? So we know mm-hmm. what's actually going on in their bodies. And the men's reports, whether they were gay men or straight men, the men's reports were pretty straight reports. The men knew what actually turned them on and what didn't turn them on. But the women, most of whom had said, that was yucky, none of it turned me on, that's not what their body said. Their body said, ooga, 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 to all of it. (laughs) Men and men, women and women, women and men, whatever they were showing, most of those women's bodies were going, yeah, 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 uh uh-huh, let's do that too. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't getting through to their brain. Right. Right. It's very 
Mm-hmm. Women like Candida Royale devoted their lives to making um, erotic movies for women to help awaken women to their erotic potential. Because women um, can learn from other women. And if a woman sees a woman experiencing pleasure and enjoying herself, then she might say, hey, I bet I could do that too. So Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to go on an adventure to see where your libido is because it may be in new places now. Places that you have. A lot of us have in the last two months. Uh-huh. A lot of what? It's all, it was it was almost suddenly the last two months, you know, it was very recent. Yeah. Yeah. And things that happen during menopause do not last forever. Puberty mm-hmm. did not last forever, right? Mhm. Right. So if your libido goes away for a while, it will come back. That will be after I stop bleeding? Yes. Not before? It depends. Mm -hmm. And part of what depends on is what's going on in your life, right? Right. I taught a menopause workshop, and one of the women there said, oh, I got pregnant three years after my last period. And we all, like, turned on her, like, you did not just say that. Swear to us, you did not just say that you got pregnant three years after your last period. And she looked and she said, new lover. And we all went, oh, okay, we understand. What did she say? Sorry, I couldn't understand. New lover. Oh, new lover. New lover. We went, oh, all right, we understand. Because that aroused a lot of stuff. Right, because that changes what's going on, right? Yeah, my doctor told me maybe you're tired because of the because of the pandemic. The thing is, I've been hearing like ambulances over and over and over all day long. I was been hearing them in the summer, and because there's a hospital close to where I live, and that was very disturbing, you know. That was worrisome, you know. I was. It is. Like, yes, it's very scary. Absolutely. I was I was afraid that the hospitals were going to get full, and no no more people couldn't wouldn't be able to get in and would have to die. I was afraid of that, you know, and I was hearing them all day long. Susan, I'm I live in Astoria and there is a Montana hospital. They were bringing patients from from you know Middle Queens, like the another the big hospital in Queens because they didn't have more capacity. So I was very scared. And I didn't have my period for one month that month. I was so scared. <laughs> I think that... that I that was, really hear you. Yeah, and I'm still afraid, Susan, if I have to go out, like, to this... They closed so many, so many schools in New York City because there were many cases, you know. It's not an easy situation, so it's just it's hard to accept that too. It's hard to accept that, and I find a lot of people around me are having problems accepting it. They want they want to say, I don't want to. We shouldn't get paranoid, but I think we should get have some space for paranoid too, for paranoia, and be okay with the paranoia too, because it's it's normal. Don't you think so? Paranoia is the 
unjustified belief that the world is out to do you bad. No, I don't think paranoia is ever reasonable. Um, is taking precautions reasonable? Well, mm-hmm. most of us look both ways before we cross the street. The vast majority of us brush our teeth. Yeah, what I mean is anxiety, maybe better, better so word. So wearing a mask, I think, is no different. Oh, what do you say, sorry? I think wearing a mask and keeping social distance is not different than brushing your teeth or fastening your safety belt. Mm-hmm. It's built in a car. It's not paranoia. Yeah, well, perhaps the better word would be anxiety. That's what I mean. Paranoia may be too strong. But anxiety, like what you said about being okay with anxiety in life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, uh, we happen to live on a planet with billions of um, the world's uh, most vicious creature, human beings. Mm-hmm. So if you're not anxious, you're not aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But the idea is not is to... Not to be ruled by your anxiety, but to recognize it and say, ah, yes, so that you are not ruled by it, so it is not um, what is driving you, but that you understand that you are, and that as a a woman, you are likely to be even more anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've been hearing all the ambulances, it's crazy. And so that is what I mean, like not denial. There, there's been a lot of denial of the situation, so being aware and doing what you need to do to protect yourself and others. That's exactly. I mean. That's not paranoia. That's like brushing no. your teeth. Yeah, I'm taking the horse defense. You're taking horse defense also. I, I just following your, you know, your suggestion, and I'm taking horse defense in the morning. <laughs> I put it in the tea. <laughs> Yum. Yeah, it's nice. I, I've been having a like a, a persistent sinus infection from August. It didn't go away. I've been going in the air conditioner, out of the air conditioner, if the weather got cold. So I've been taking uh, usnea, but it's still there a little bit. If I go out and it's still cold, it comes. All the mucus come out. You are just at the right time of the year to purchase. Fresh, one of the best remedies for helping the sinuses, and that is horseradish. Oh, really? And especially in Astoria, you should be able to find fresh horseradish, and you will grate a little bit of that up, and you will think you are going to die because it will make your eyes and nose water profusely, and that's just what you want. Hmm. Okay, I'll do that. And they have the farmer's market here, like, on Saturday. So, so I'll get it from there. I made well. you'll find it there. Yay. Yeah. Well, Susum, again, I'm so glad you're doing well, and it was so nice talking to you, all what you gave me. I really want to talk to an older one who has so much experience. I totally appreciate the, all the effort, all the anecdotes you've been gathering, you know. I thought... Susan, I'm sure that he, well, she should appreciate also the translations I did for her because I put a lot of love in them, a lot of work, too. So You know, I it's interesting because Justine was just talking about those translations and really? getting them out to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I remember enjoying doing that work immensely. 
It's a creative world. Let's, also, let's you know? see what we can do together to get your wonderful translations of my work to more Spanish-speaking people. Yeah, because some people have written me to, to get more. So, you know, I've been busy, but we, we can we come to an agreement. You know, I'm also a doctor now, a PhD, so that also adds Yay, more experience to that. Yeah. Yeah, in literature. So I'm more literary these days. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can add some some of that. We can come up with an agreement and everything and something, you know. But for now, this seems like a good, you know, like exchange what you gave me, the, the, the wisdom you gave me for today, you know. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear your voice, Carmen. Oh, uh, <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. I think a lot about you. <laughs> well, Susan? Yes, I'm here. So if you want to tell me something else, I'm hearing. If not, we I send you love and uh, like best wishes in your journey, and we proceed to the next one. But you are totally free to say something coming from your heart right now. Well, I just did. And mm-hmm. so... Say to you, green blessings. Green blessings. To be continued. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 717 area code. Does he have anything to do with them? No. As of right now, um, they Are you there in the 717? Oh, call from All right, we'll come back to that. They're not... They, they may be there, but it sounds like they might be engaged. Mm-hmm. All right. The next caller is coming from the 516 area code. And if you have a question for Susan, please make sure to press 1. Hi, Susan. It's Kimberly. Hey, Kimberly. Hi. <laughs> How are you, honey? <laughs> I am doing really well. <laughs> I'm great. Um, so I um, I wanted to chat with you about two um, questions. Uh, okay. The one has to do with hip replacements, and the second question has to do with structure, schedule, and organization. So let's talk about hip first. I, um, you know, I'm deep into this lawsuit with my insurance company over my car accident. Blah blah. They had told me, yes, you do definitely need a hip replacement, but. You have to lose 50 pounds first. And I'm like, great, well, how am I going to do that when I can't exercise? But anyway, long story short, I went to see another doctor who does an anterior procedure. And he goes, yeah, it's better if we just do the hip replacement and then you can, you know, uh, do your workouts afterwards. Anyway, so I'm watching this video, right, the animated video of the anterior hip replacement procedure. And the thing that struck me was I had no idea there's a little artery at the end of the femoral bone that feeds the bone blood and so they just chop that all off and toss it away and the thing that that gets me is that all my tendons will be cut not my muscles but it just my bones I don't have serious arthritis right my bones my pelvic bone my or my uh, cap of my hip bone, there's, they're not pocked, you know. It's not like that. It, it's the 
labrum, that little, you know, liner, right, in my hip that's torn. So I'm just really not feeling that, you know, man should go and chop off my perfectly good bones to stick something else in there. I'm just, ah, I just, you know, I just, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't, I just not feeling it. <laughs> I just wanted to, to kind of put it out there. I know, you know, hip replacements are great. You know, the, the whole thing about replacements is so individual, Kimberly. Mm. I have a friend who has degenerative rheumatoid arthritis, and she has had every joint in her body that she can get replaced, replaced, and she's hoping for more. Right. She is thrilled, and she said, sure, it hurts, and sure, there's recovery, but I was just totally immobile and in worsening pain before. And so for her, the trade-off was really, really worth it. Gordon has his, had his knee replaced. He was considered the perfect patient. The doctors praised him. They were all over him. They said, this is so simple. We're so glad you came. You really need this knee replacement. We'll do it great. He's so unhappy with it. He said he would a thousand times rather have an arthritic knee than the replacement. Interesting. Although he's in no pain. All right, right. Well, it limits his mobility. Right. Well, and this is a traumatic injury. It's not a degenerative arthritic type injury where I'm bone on bone. And so, you know, I, I went to, you know, one of these stem cell people and I talked to them and they showed me my films and they said, look, there is space between your bones. You should not have a hip replacement. <laughs> and so I'm very interested in, I don't know, and I'm trying to listen to my wise woman within, but I'm also cognizant of the whole, you know, insurance, financial, you know, blah, blah, blah thing, you know, so, but it just seems to me that if my body can regenerate this tissue in some form or fashion, and I'm drinking comfrey as we, comfrey leaf infusion as we speak, mm-hmm. um, it just seems to me that. And there's that, no reason why your body cannot do that. It certainly can. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, okay. So basically, uh, you know, we all make our own decisions. And so I think I've decided that regardless of the financial implications, I don't think that, and by the way, the hip replacement would, I would outlive it. I would have to have it done again because they only last about 15 years. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. So that ends. Thank you. That helps. And you know that Jujana had both hips replaced and she's deliriously happy. Right. And one of them twice. (laughs) One of them twice. I know. Right, but she was in a situation where she was, like, She was really, like, mm. so, yeah. you know, she lived in a house with, what, you know, 30 steps going up to the front door, and then it was a two-level house, and she was not being able to navigate any of that. Right, right. Right. Um, and the thing that really brought it up was they're like, oh, great, so let's schedule it. And I'm like, like, when? And they're like, oh, in the next Earth? 30 days. And I'm Earth? like, um <laughs> what? Yeah, well, um, I live, and you know, I'm reading the brochure, the very nice, pretty brochure, right? And it says, yeah, and if you live by yourself, you're going to need to ask your doctor if you can, if he'll check you into a skilled nursing facility. I'm like, yeah, in COVID? I don't think so. 
Woohoo! Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm like thinking of all these things. Oh, I need a different chair, and I need this, and I need that. And I said, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Um, my mom was a different story, but, um, you know, she was bone on bone, and she never got it done. But I don't think I'm at that stage yet. So I think I'm going to proceed through some other path. I don't know if it's stem cells or just massive amounts of comfrey, um, but I'll pursue another strategy. Okay. All right. Second, second question. I noticed that you have a schedule. You have a place for everything that doesn't change and that it helps you move through your life. And I really struggle with that. Um, and so I just wanted to to just hear some wisdom in terms of how you came to your sort of MO or mode of operating in that respect. I consider myself a very lazy person. And toward that end, it works best for me not to have to look for things. Looking for things takes up a lot of time. Lazy people do not like to waste time. So I put things where I can get to them easily. I have at the table where Justine and I are working a pretty basket that has pins and scissors in it. In the next room, where I often work on correspondence course students, I have a jar that has pens and a pair of scissors in it. At home, in my room where I sit and work, I have a caddy that has colored markers and pens and scissors in it. In the office where I work, I have markers and pens. So while I have a place for everything, I may have many iterations of that because I don't want to have to get up and walk to the other room to get something. The sea captain, the husband of my dear friend Betsy, um, taught me quite a bit about this because as the captain of a very large uh, oil tanker, he was responsible for everything. And the way he dealt with that was that at every place where something could go wrong, the tools to deal with what could go wrong were there already. So if there was a valve that sometimes blew or got leaky, there was the valve replacement and the wrenches and everything that was needed to take care of that within three steps of that place. And again, I think, ah, what a lazy way to do things. By having it right there, by having the things at hand, um, it's very easy to deal with that. And we don't have to spend a lot of energy trying to pull together something in the midst of a crisis. I also saw at circuses that there were performers who could do a lot of things at once, you know. They might, you know, balance on one toe on a ball on top of a ball 
while spinning a plate on their nose and a hula hoop on their arm. And you think, how can they do that? And the way they did it was one thing at a time, right? Mm. And they didn't suddenly, in the middle of it, try to put their hand on the ball instead of their foot and the hula hoop on their leg instead of their arm. Because it would all come tumbling down if they tried to switch around like that. Mm. And to run a farm and a workshop center and an apprentice program and a publishing company. Mm. Just to mention a few of the things that I do. I need to... um, get each thing, you know, up and going. I need to get balanced on those balls and get the plate spinning on my nose then get the hula hoop on my arm and so on. By focusing on that thing and then trusting that its momentum can be maintained with not too much effort once you get that momentum going. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you've been in my space. You know, I'm not, organization is not my strong suit, number one. And I'm struggling right now because now I'm, instead of my 3,000-square-foot house, I'm in a 700-square-foot house. Exactly. And but when I you're have... done with something, mm. you have to put it down, right? hmm The lazy person puts it down in a specific spot so they never have to deal with it again. Got it. I am done with this magazine. I am not going to lay it on the floor. I am going to walk over there and put it in the trash. Not because I want to make that effort, but because I don't want to make the greater effort later. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is that most people won't make the greater effort later, and so they wind up not ever moving it again. It's a stack of magazines. It's what I call the three-year rule. Wherever you put it down, it's going to stay for three years. <laughs> Is that where you want it for the next three years? <laughs> if not, don't put it down there. I gotcha. Just keep going. <laughs> All right. And just think of how much more exercise you'll get. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Because <laughs> we know that... It doesn't work the way the doctor said. You don't have a hip replacement and then exercise more. You start exercising more now. Even if that more is walking from one end of the room to the other to put a magazine in the trash, once an hour you do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing that I asked him. I said, well, shouldn't I, like, do, like, some physical therapy and build my core and my strength and all that before the surgery? Oh, yes. no, no, we usually do that afterwards. And I'm like, no, yeah, well, you usually do it afterwards, but it's much more effective beforehand. That's what I thought. So yeah. I, I can't go to the Y, but I have an ocean 20 minutes away from me, so I can always go swim. You can. You can. And... The way most of us sabotage our efforts at exercise is we make it too elaborate. I'm going to swim. Well, I have to get in the car, and I have to drive 20 minutes to swim, and I have to have the right costume, and I have to take this, and I have to take that. And by the time I drive 20 minutes back, and then I'm there, well, it's an hour and a half, and I don't really have an hour and a half here right now. So I'll put it off until tomorrow. (laughs) Walking across the room once every hour is more effective exercise because you will do it. 
I agree. You're right. So do that. And if you can go swimming, that's good. But don't put don't your exercise eggs in an elaborate basket. Indeed. And I do remember you um, sweeping the carpet instead of using a vacuum and thing. I still do that, um, by the way. <laughs> you. Good for you. Those little, those little efforts mean a lot. Set yourself a goal, right? Get a Fitbit, get a pedometer, set yourself a goal. My friend Candace, who uh, wound up having a difficult time walking, set herself the goal of walking 500 steps every hour. It's not very much. But it got her a lot of steps over the course of a day. Hmm. And in small increments that she could actually do. Right. Right? Scale it down, scale it down to what you can do, even if it's only one or two steps, and then repeat. Got it. Is that what it says in the shampoo bottle? (laughs) It does. Wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Well, and I got this little lateral. Uh, cycle thing. It's uh, like a recumbent little bike that you can just That's like set idea. up on the floor. Yeah, yeah a little cardio, idea. a little something, you know. So yeah, yeah. All right. Every every yeah. single bit of it helps. Good deal. All yeah. right, my darling. I love you so much. Jake, crossing you. your legs and jiggling your foot that counts too. <laughs> okay, really does right now. <laughs> yes, it counts. <laughs> All right. I love All right. you. <laughs> Big hug. Mwah. Smooches back Mwah. at you. All right, honey. Later. <laughs> so we'll go back to the caller in the 717 area code and remind the callers that we're not having a guest this evening. So if you have a question, press 1, and Susan will be answering questions during our normal guest interview time. So in the 717. Hello. Hello. What's up tonight? Um, yes. First off, I want to tell you thank you so much for your knowledge and your information. I've been listening to you for the last couple of years, learning a lot. Um, I am 59 years old, and uh, as of three years ago, I started menopause. I have had my period up until three years ago. Um, Severe hot flashes. My problem is I stopped menopause for about two months a year ago, and um, I deal with entrometriosis. Within two months, my uterus wall um, was so thick, I can't remember how many centimeters they said, but I had to go in and have a massive DNC done. Um, I know you talk about your infusions a lot. I would just like to know what infusions I could use. I, I hear nettle, I hear linden, and lindy. Linden. And, um, Here's here's the idea with the nourishing herbal infusions. The nourishing herbal infusions are like food. They're not like medicine. Yes, I realize that. 
in the summertime, I eat a lot of corn because corn is available to me. In the wintertime, I eat more rice, not because rice is better than corn, but because it's what's available to me. And I have found, and many studies have found, that a diet that is varied is more nutritionally sound than a diet that is monotonous. So I don't just eat corn and rice. I also eat wheat and millet and quinoa and um, buckwheat and a wide variety of wild seeds. With the nourishing herbal infusions, I have chosen five herbs that are extremely rich, four of them, in protein, and that's comfrey nettle, oat straw, and clover, and extremely high in minerals, which is all of them, including the linden, which is not high in protein, and quite rich in vitamins, some of them even including vitamin D and vitamin E, and rich in a variety of important plant nutrients like polyphenols, phytosterols, um, catechins, and so on that promote our health. Rotating through these five herbs, drinking one a day or one every other day, provides our bodies with lavish amounts then of these nutritive substances, including proteins, antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, vitamins, minerals, and other things that we need for good health. So it's not that that I would necessarily choose one. Now, you may have heard some people talking about, and we certainly do this, during the summertime, I add hibiscus to my round of infusions. And I do that by making a quart or a half gallon of hibiscus infusion, which keeps in the refrigerator um, for days and days, whereas the other infusions generally go bad in a couple of days. Um, Because I'm thirstier in the summer. So after I drink my quart of infusion, I want something else to drink, and I have hibiscus infusion to drink. You may have heard um, people talking about, um, oh, I'm using comfrey. And what they're doing is they're rotating through the five infusions. Um, And they're making some extra comfrey or making extra comfrey on the day when they make the comfrey so that in addition to drinking the quart of infusion of whatever infusion it is that day, they also have half a cup to a cup of comfrey when they're Mm -hmm. healing a ligament or a bone break or something like that. Some people might be working with a particular lung issue, and so they would rotate through the five herbal infusions and also make a quart of mullein infusion and turn that into mullein milk and have anywhere from a cup to half a cup of that a day in addition to their other infusion that they're drinking. Does that help you understand? I do mullein. You do mullein. Wonderful. I do mullein and, um, and sassafras. 
I have uh, a little old piece of property that... Uh, now, remember that we never want to make an infusion from any herb that has a strong odor. Right, right. So I hope you're not making sassafras infusion. Uh, best used as a tea. Ow, no, yes. I... Are you actually making sassafras tea, or are you weighing out one ounce of sassafras to a quart of water? Mm. Not not weighing, no. I just do it by eye. And when you're doing the mullein, are you weighing it? Um, no. So you're not making any infusions at all? Putting it in a jar and letting it soak. Okay. I have been doing the... Okay, so you can do that, and it won't hurt you, but you are not making nourishing herbal infusions. If it's so cool, making nourishing herbal infusion, you must weigh out one ounce of herb and combine that with one quart of boiling water. It's not an eyeball, it's not a fistful, it's not a cupful, it's not a handful, it's one ounce by weight. And one ounce of red clover is a whole lot more than an ounce of oat straw by volume. Right. And that's why you weigh it. And And an ounce of homegrown nettle is a whole lot more than an ounce of store-bought nettle. And that's why you weigh it. I've been making infusion nightly for over 30 years, and I weigh it every time. I'll get myself one of them little things. One of those little, little little scales with a T-A-R-E function, so you can put your jar, your quart jar right on there if you want to, and just push, right. you know, T-A-R-E, and it'll take the weight of the jar away, and you add your dried herb right to the jar, and it'll tell you when you get to an ounce, and then you put the scale away, and put the jar in the sink, and pour it full of boiling water, and put a lid on it, and you're done. I have a question about red clover. Okay. Um, I had, you know, I've read there that, you know, red clover is good for a woman's hormones unless she deals with endometriosis. Is that true? Red clover, like all members of the pea and bean family, contains phytoestrogens. Well, not really, because, of course, plants don't have any estrogen. What they really have is phytosterol. Those can be converted into hormones in the body, but they are not pre-prepared. These same substances are found in every member of the bean family, in every seed that we, including corn, rice, and wheat, and in all roots. It's not as though red clover is some particularly strong source of these compounds or the only source of these compounds. These are some of the most common compounds found in plants. Red clover, for some reason, has been picked, is being picked on. And I do a show for HealthyLife.net. Okay. It's once a month at HealthyLife.net, 
and they have an archive as well of shows. One of the shows this year was on Red Clover. If you want to go and listen to it, I think it's completely free. Okay. Like I, will, I will do that. Okay. <laughs> um, this, these hot flashes, though, oh, my God, they're about driving me nuts. Well, you know, I kept envisioning being in a walk-in freezer, and it wasn't until after menopause that I kind of, like, said, ha-ha, that was cute that you were envisioning a walk-in freezer. Why didn't you just go out and buy an air conditioner? <laughs> I have listened to some of your videos on menopause, and I've tried to buy your book a couple times, and I just keep having trouble setting up an account. And I want to buy the book from you and not Amazon. Uh-huh. Well, gee, you don't have to set up an account with us, so far as I know. You just go to wisewomanbookshop.com. You know what? You, what we have recently, um, that person who was our server decided to retire, and we had to switch servers. And so maybe if you've been at the Wise Woman Bookshop, um, you need to refresh because your computer has memorized the, our old website and has a okay, new one with the new server. Yeah, I will try that. Okay, so see if you and can get you the so new uh, wisewomanbookshop.com, and you should be able to do it pretty do it pretty there. I will. Okay. And thank you, Susan. You are welcome. Thank you. Green blessings tonight. Green blessings to you, too. Bye. Bye-bye. So if anybody has a question, please uh, press 1 to ask it. And if not, we can go to this question that was sent in on Sunday. It says, hello, Susan. I am currently gathering yellow dock root for tincturing, and I saw that you said the leaves and seeds are good for flooding, which I'm having a lot of trouble with. My question is, can I harvest and use the seeds and leaves now? The leaves are still green, but the seeds on the plants are very brown and seem dried at this October time of year. Well, I missed the most important point of that. What, what plant are we talking about? Uh, yellow dock. She's harvesting the root of it, and she had heard that you recommend, or she said uh, that the leaves and seeds are good for flooding. I know the wording there is kind of tricky, but <laughs> which I'm having a lot of trouble with. Yeah, I know. It's like, huh? So, yeah. Let's reel back a little bit on this. Yellow dock, um, if you buy it, can be any one of four or five different but very closely related plants, all in the Polygonaceae family and all in the Rumex genus. Rumex crispus, curly dock, is the one that is most often cited as the medicinal one. Any plant that has yellow roots probably contains some berberine. And the more yellow the root, as in golden seal or gold thread, and the more bitter the taste, the more berberine there probably is in that. 
because of that, Rumex obtusifolia, the broadleaf dock, which is far more common, sometimes called common dock, um, is often substituted for Rumex crispus because it is more yellow and more bitter. Rumex aquaticus, which looks like the broadleaf dock and it has a broad leaf um, and a, often a red midrib, but grows in wet places, thus its name, aquaticus. And uh, Rumex mexicana, which tends to grow in arid situations and more into the desert southwest, um, can also be sold as yellow dock. And a dock that I have not seen, Rumex patienza, which is supposed to look like curly dock, but without the curls, just a long, flat leaf, apparently has also been sold as yellow dock. And there's no problem with any of that. The yellow dock root seems to have a very interesting effect on the ability of both humans and probably animals and plants to utilize and absorb iron. When we are flooding, when we're losing a lot of blood, we are losing iron. The less iron we have, the more likely we are to flood. The more we flood, the more iron we lose. The less iron we have, the more we flood. This can get very bad in a couple of months. So yellow dock does not directly stop flooding. What yellow dock does is to build the body's ability to mobilize and utilize iron, which in and of itself can help to slow down and stop flooding. Yellow dock roots, like most perennial roots, can be dug at virtually any time. Many of the perennial roots get a real growth spurt here as the cold weather comes on. The yellow dock, which has put up its flowers and created seeds already, you know, weeks if not months ago in most places, um, are now leafing out again and charging up their roots with good nutrition to get through the wintertime. The brown seeds of the yellow duck can sometimes stick around, but usually if you harvest what's on that stalk, what you're going to find is that almost all the seeds have already fallen off and what's there is chaff. So although it may look like brown seeds, there probably aren't very many brown seeds. It's okay that there's green leaves, and if you're digging the root, that's okay. We do know that the alkaloids, like the berberine, in the roots do get concentrated as the weather gets colder and are most concentrated after the first frosts. So the strongest medicine, and we don't necessarily need the strongest medicine, um, is from roots picked after that first frost. For instance, I really want my poke root tincture to be strong. That's what I'm making it for. So I am generally making poke root tincture in the first week of December. Now, some years I get snowed out and I can't get out there and dig in the ground because there's snow on the ground. But that's okay because I'm not harvesting poke every single year. And there's enough years where I can go out and dig in early December to get that. So it's a time when I do like 
to harvest roots. Later on in the year, not even October, not even November, um, depending on where you live. And again, you know, you're going to have to um, get that window between it being cold and really cold, but the ground still being diggable to get to those roots. So kind of a, a roundabout, long-winded answer um, to your question, um, which again is that yellow dock itself is not something that is specifically going to stop flooding. And um, it, what it is is going to help the body mobilize and utilize iron, which then stops the cycle of flooding as more iron is available to the tissues. What yellow dock, in fact, is usually used for is regularity. There's a compound in yellow dock, which is also found in rhubarb root, a very important medicine, especially in Chinese medicine, that um, really picks up peristalsis. And um, again, the broad dock um, probably has more of that compound than um, the curly dock. Um, and is, so if you're digging it, you might even want to find both curly dock and broad dock and dig up both roots and make a small amount of tincture of both roots and to compare for yourself, right? Which one is more active for what you want? Which one feels better to you? Um, boiling down a very strong a tea or infusion of yellow dock root into a decoction by reducing it by heat to at least half and then sweetening it makes an iron tonic syrup that can be used and, of course, by exactly the same mechanism of bringing up the iron level of the blood, molasses. A tablespoon of molasses doesn't just make the medicine goes down, it makes everything better. And liver the least expensive organic meat, and the highest in iron. Sounds good, yes. Um, Do you have both yellow ducks? Do you have both yellow ducks where you are? Yeah, I do. More common, the broadleaf here. Mm -hmm. Yes, throughout Mm -hmm. most of North America, the broadleaf is the more common one. You know, roadsides, um, all those kinds of places. Um, one of the apprentices said, I found a whole bunch of curly dock by the roadside. I said, take me to it. I want to see this. And she was right. It was curly dock growing right by the road where usually I would expect to find the broadleaf. And do you notice a difference in using them or do you use them interchangeably? I use them interchangeably. I I uh, tend to use them for, um, for peristalsis too and then also... Some with uh, for like iron absorption, but um, yeah, yeah. I think they they both get really strong. When I dig them in the winter time, they're both like they make a pretty similar uh, tincture actually, and that's how I tend that's how I use it is as tincture. Yeah, I don't think that if mm-hmm. you were to see the dried root, you could even really tell the difference. Mm-hmm. The leaves yeah. are different. Yeah, and you can eat the leaves of the curly dock. Um, and you sure are not going to want to eat the leaves of the broad dock because it's also called bitter dock, and it is pretty bitter. I took some mm-hmm. macrobiotic students out once, and we found broad dock, and I 
They said, oh, well, you can eat dock leaves. I said, well, not these. These are too bitter. And they said, oh, we're a microbiotic. We eat bitter stuff. So we harvested some. You know, It's not like they're in short supply. And they cooked them up. And I saw them, you know, put it on their plate, take a bite, put some tamari on it, take another bite, and then kind of shove it to the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need much of that. <laughs> well, it's the curly dog. Yeah, you know, you I think I experimented with it a long it, time ago. But... Definitely eat it in salad. It's, you know, it's next. The next one to it is Rumex acetosa, which is sorrel, and mm-hmm. then Rumex acetosella, sheep sorrel. Mhm. Right, and they all have yellow roots. Mhm. Much smaller those ones. <laughs> much smaller, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like we like to eat those just for fun, really. But uh, right, I don't really care too much. <laughs> yeah, just for the, the sour good. effect. My kids love those, though. That's like probably their most easily recognized plant because they love the. We have the woodland sorrel, sorrel here too. That they love. Woodland too. sorrel is oxalis. It's not related to rumex yeah. at all. Yeah. True, but it has that sour taste, right? <laughs> it has that sour taste. Let's not confuse the listeners here into thinking okay, that okay. sorrel is sorrel because it's called sorrel. This is why we need to learn the botany, right? The woodland right, sorrel right. is oxalis, and it clo- looks like a clover because that has the three leaflets on it. And then the other plants that we've been talking about are all rumex. Rumex acetosella, the sheep sorrel. Rumex um, acetosa, garden sorrel. All right, Rumex crispus the wild sorrel or curly dock, and Rumex aptosifolia, the broadleaf dock or bitter dock. And the last two um, are both considered to be yellow dock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, I, and I guess that about wraps up our show for the evening. Here we are. Reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Open your door, open your eyes, open your hearts. It's right outside your door, yep, no matter where you live. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Justine. Thank you, everybody, for calling and for listening. Do it again next week. Green blessings. Green blessings. Thank you, Susan.